0: Uh It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. You might have noticed, but e-commerce isn't the only big digital thing experiencing a boom during the pandemic. Savings and investing apps are having a moment too. Indeed, while many startups are struggling in the wake of the economic turmoil unleashed by COVID-19, services that help regular folks save and invest are seeing an explosion in consumer interest. Now, one startup that's been on a roll is Public, a company aiming to serve as a guide and glide path for new investors looking to participate in the stock market. Now, public service is a little different from other investing apps you might be familiar with. Besides the fact that it's been backed by the likes of Will Smith and J.J. Watt, it allows users to buy pieces of individual shares of companies. And on top of that, the platform has a social element where users can talk to one another and explain their investment choices in a public feed, giving new meaning to the idea of the wisdom of the crowd. But what really has distinguished public from everyone else has been its very strident attempts to protect consumers from some of Wall Street's worst impulses, a mission that attracted worldwide attention recently when public decided to lock its investors out of Hertz's $1 billion offering of stock that was being pursued as Hertz was filing for bankruptcy. Now, this is some really radical stuff, redefining what makes a company, well, public. So I wanted to learn more and invited the CEO, Yannick Mahling, onto the show to talk about just what it means for fintech to work in the public interest and how and whether retail investors can really get a fair shake in today's increasingly complex markets. To be recognized, I'm keeping my eyes on the people that surprised. Yannick, thanks so much for joining the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Yannick, before we get started, just to orient our listeners, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your company, Public. I mean, the company's name is pretty ambitious, and it obviously says a lot. But maybe you can say a little bit about what you do and how you came up with your name.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, So Public is what we call the social investing app. And if you think about it, we've kind of built these two layers around the stock market that didn't really exist before. The first one is what we call the, the the micro-investing or the fractional layer. And so that allows people to buy any stock for any amount of money. So even though a stock like Amazon is, gosh, what is it now? 2500 just for one share, you can just buy $1 of Amazon. And so that's something that we really... Built to provide greater access for a lot of people to the markets. And then, sort of in addition to that, we've also built a social layer that lets you uh, build your financial literacy in a diverse and inclusive community alongside other people who um, are often also on, on a similar journey. And those two layers uh, together are, are pretty powerful because it provides a really great place for new investors to come in start small, learn the markets and do it in a way that's fundamentally different to to any other experience that they've sort of tried in the past.
0: So as a business matter, how do you integrate new retail investors into something like uh, the the stock market? We've we've certainly seen the big exchanges take a fundamentally different approach focusing increasingly over uh, time on institutional investors. So So what opportunity do you see in terms of how platform-based technologies can bring the little guy up to speed when they jump headfirst into investing for the first time?
1: We think there's always been this like taboo around finance in general. And so with public, what we encourage people to do is share their investments, not just what they're investing in, but as importantly, why? Um, And so the way that that works is when you make an investment on the platform, you, you can actually publish that. Uh, to a feed alongside a little caption similar to how you'd caption your Instagram posts, for instance, or your Instagram photos. And then other people uh, can kind of comment on that, right? And so typically people put their investment thesis kind of in the caption. Other people will challenge that. Other people will agree with that. And it ultimately just builds a very kind of different experience uh, where you're sort of emerged in this community of people that are all publicly Hence the name, uh, sharing their investments and the ideas
0: behind. Them. You know, this is a really interesting idea, and I'm really a little bit curious as to where you 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 had the inspiration. It. I'm I'm old enough to sort of remember the Jobs Act and conversations that were had over a decade ago in the crowdfunding space, where there were a lot of conversations that you know were, were in this direction about like how can you not only sort of bring uh, new investors or or more retail investors into the space, but how can you kind of leverage social media platforms and or just the technology of the internet in a way to sort of bring folks together in order to encourage more public dialogue on investment decisions? I mean, where exactly did did the inspiration for this particular app come from?
1: So it really came from realizing that the greatest barrier to entry for a lot of new investors and, and, and the reason why people who weren't invested in the stock market hadn't gotten involved had less to do with like fees and commissions that I think startups have in the fintech space mostly been focused on kind of removing, um, and really more to do with a general sort of lack of financial literacy, as we call it. And so that comes down to you know, the whole experience of getting started being very daunting, frankly, quite intimidating, not really knowing how to begin, where to invest, and why. You know, how do I build a, a solid portfolio? Uh, what even is a solid portfolio? And so it, it was really more of an educational gap than anything else. Um, and when we started thinking about how to solve an educational gap at this day and age where, you know, I think at, at the time Snapchat, that we conceived the idea, Snapchat was really having a moment, I think, that just IPO'd. And, and um, you know, we kind of looked at some data and, and there was a sense of like living at a time where the average snap gets skipped in six seconds, We were kind of thinking, wow, we're now living at a time where the attention span is, is frankly shorter than it's ever been, which makes it really hard to educate people. Maybe the traditional way, like you can no longer expect to, to just like write, um, have like hour long YouTube videos and write blog posts and ebooks and all these things and assume that every single customer of yours are going to consume all that content. Um, and so we started thinking about what's the most engaging way that you can actually build um, education for the public markets and ultimately found uh, social to be um, the solution there um, because what you end up with is really a community that kind of educates itself and it's kind of this sense of like learning by doing right and I think learning by doing has been existing for a long time and it's a very kind of proven model I mean arguably you know in the history of mankind it's the best Proven way to learn anything, right? Um, but what the social model really does is amplifies that a lot because you're not just learning from your own experiences; you're learning from other people's experiences as well, and that drastically accelerates your ability to build your um, financial literacy and and the time in which you can do it.
0: You're talking about Snapchat attention spans and like, and it's. Obvious that that you're just screaming out to a millennial customer base. Uh, But it does seem that you're trying to do two things at at, at once, right? Uh, With both really a kind of educational orientation and a profit making one. So, how are you viewing this proverbial challenge of chewing gum and walking at the same time, uh, both for you in terms of? You're simultaneously an investing platform and, and even a kind of content provider on the one hand. and then your your customers
1: as both investors and students. So the idea was like if you extrapolate that out, we really at public like we wanted people to invest early, right? We wanted them to start compounding their investments early. Um, you know there's no reason that you should be uh, mid 30s or, or already 40s before you really start building out your portfolio at this day and age. But there's also no reason that you shouldn't start to become more financially educated, more financially aware. And so we really just wanted to accelerate the timeline in, in which that sort of typically happened.
0: One of the more interesting aspects of this entire um, venture here is this idea you know that the two mentioned, if you want to buy Amazon or something, that can be really a huge barrier to entry for people who are young and may not have the money to spend several thousand dollars on any share. So you've come up with this sort of system for fractional investing. Can you maybe just sort of briefly tell us, like, how is that fractional investing platform or system, how is it supposed to work?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So fractional shares have actually always existed in the public markets. Uh, but not quite in this way, you know, if you would own stock in two public companies historically and they merge, you can end up with a fractional share, but it was always more the exception than the rule. Uh, we kind of turned it on its head and, and made it the rule. And so, you know, when you buy into Amazon for 500 bucks, you then get basically 20% um, of one share. And so we built that internal ledger, which means that other people can then also buy at a fraction of that share. Um, And it really does two things. It gives people greater access to the markets. Um, And so there's a lot of people where something like Amazon was just out of their price range, kind of frankly, but it also lets them uh, control the diversification inside their portfolios to a much greater extent. Because even if you have $10,000 in your account, you can still just take a 5% um, exposure to Amazon. So it's not just a gateway
0: for people who may not have the money to buy any one particular share. But even if you do have enough money to buy one particular share, you may not want to sink all of your money into that particular share. And so it allows them to sort of spread around their their exposure. How are your investors then faring? I mean, you know, you, you're, you're ultimately operating as, again, a a gateway for all kinds of potentially new investors. But they're coming on board in a very turbulent time with lots of um, volatility in the markets. What is then, you know, that looking like for this particular investor class? I mean, does the wisdom of the crowd hypothesis work or is it working where you have so many retail investors and, and, and what are the lessons do you think that they're learning and you're learning in terms of how you're building out the design of the platform?
1: Sure. So um, the most important thing about our community is that it's about education more than influence, right? It's not about whether you have influence over people. It's more about um, how can you become educated um, by the actions that other people are sort of taking. And so the power in that is in the diversity of thought. And the idea is that um, you sort of, it it helps you build your knowledge um, as you go along, um, rather than having it be something where you're directed to do uh, sort of certain things, right? And so it exists kind of like an input uh, variable, but a very, very big one. Um, In terms of how investors are faring, I mean, most people in the community are longer term investors, right? Which means that they tend to have a lot of exposure to tech and a lot of sort of blue chip companies. We don't see a lot of the sort of penny stock volatile plays, frankly. We also have um, ETFs on the platform. Um, And I think like we did a survey recently and 72% of the people on public uh, are actually only uh, longer term investors. um, But they check the app quite often to be able to stay up to date and educated around um, those investments.
0: From what I understand, you're, you're also doing other kinds of interesting things. So you have, as you mentioned, sort of longer-term uh, investors, and people are still checking their apps, but you also have different kinds of, of speed bumps in, in, in place. Recently, I think, you know, one space where you've either instituted those or at least attracted a lot of attention in terms of part of the management of the platform had to do with Hertz. And as many of our listeners may know, Hertz was trying to make this uh, very large offering of stock You know, at a time where it was sort of filing for bankruptcy. And you made a very interesting kind of intervention where you were um, effectively locking some of your investors out of that investment. Can you maybe walk us through what you did and how those actions kind of play into the kind of community and space that you're trying to build out?
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, for for those who don't know, um, Hertz filed for bankruptcy. Um, Then um, what happened is the stock actually started trading up during this time, which was fairly unprecedented. And then even more unprecedented, Hertz uh, saw the opportunity to do a capital raise uh, of a billion dollars. And that's sort of at the point... Where we went in and basically um, restricted uh, the buying of of herd shares, right? And again, the way we think about it, I mean, ninety percent of the people on public are are relatively new to investing, and so frankly, we don't think that it would be a good experience for them if their first kind of uh, step at this was to come in and buy stock in a bankrupt company, right? And I think what you see today is, you know and this is what we also personally think happened, like, you know, Hertz was trending on a lot of different platforms and shown in top movers across trading platforms, across the industry. And I think a lot of people were maybe just like buying it without really knowing uh, why it was moving or without reading kind of further into it. Um, and so that's sort of where we went in um, and, and started kind of restricting that because at the end of the day, if that's your first trade, if that's your first real sort of investment in the stock market, um, and it's going to turn out bad, which we still think it is, uh, you know, we think you're just going to turn and you're just never going to come back, right? And so in a way, uh, we saw that as just like a lot of people um, having the risk of getting off on the very wrong foot in with the relationship with the stock market. Um, and that's what we really wanted to make sure it didn't happen.
0: Why do you think other larger exchanges and brokerages aren't doing what, what, what you're doing, or at least haven't thought of doing it? I mean, is this kind of thing something that smaller, nimble fintech firms are especially well-suited
1: to do? Uh, or are there other kinds of, of drivers? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think the interesting thing, if you take it back to first principles, right? So, so regulation ultimately exists to protect the end consumer. That's something that we're extremely aligned with at public, um, because we basically says to foster long-term relationships with our customers, uh, especially given that most of our customers are longer term investors, right? And so we don't really necessarily have an interest in in people trading. In fact, we uh, very frequently, in fact, we actually disallow day trading uh, as a concept from the platform. And I think fundamentally, we believe that there are certain investment approaches that necessitate maybe a high degree of experience. And we're committed to providing a, a broad community of investors with an environment that generally promotes a, a responsible sort of investing experience, um, especially because everything that happens in the community is actually quite transparent because people are posting their, their sort of investments and they're collaborating around them. And so we didn't think that that would be sort of a... Uh, a good move for anyone really at that time. And, and and so that's why we kind of reacted in that day. And, and that, you know, is one way that we may be uh, unique in this space and like in that other people don't have the community aspect and, and the transparency that that brings uh, across your customer base.
0: Do you think that from a, from an an economic standpoint, I mean, you, you are instituting at times speed bumps, you know, you're being a little bit more active in fact to sort of pro- protect Investors, frankly, from from information asymmetries, things that they may not know, where there's a, a, a large degree of of, of danger, is, is this um, a commercially viable way to to run a young startup? I mean, at, to, to to what degree is is are, are these kinds of actions where you're really trying to protect the investor? Ironically, something that's well suited for you know uh, a, a profit making venture.
1: Absolutely, we think, right? So, uh, like I said, we're, we're really building this company for the long term, which means we even have a commercial interest in making sure that people don't get burned as part of their first experience in the stock market. And I think at the end of the day, we'd rather build a product that you want to be a part of for the next decade or two, uh, rather than optimizing for how we can make the fastest buck um, in this particular quarter. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're going to end with a, a couple of words on regulation.
0: I mean, lots of our listeners are regulators and people who think about how to construct markets. And you know, one of the things I think is really interesting about this is is that you're raising really age-old questions about how to protect investors, but you're kind of putting it into a market solution that's really at the at the cutting edge. I mean. When you think about rules and regulation, and when you think about the kinds of things that are out there to protect investors, like disclosures and the like, and then at the same time you're you're really doing something a little new here. Is there anything that regulators do you think? Uh, is there anything that they should be doing that either they're not quite doing yet, or they may be considering in order to facilitate the kinds of moves that um, companies like Public might might be considering in the future, particularly? Um, because fintech is enabling a new generation of investors into these markets.
1: I mean, I I think they they are doing it right to your point. Um, You know, there are requirements around uh, showing disclosures and things of that nature. But I think we live at a time where most of the services that we use are consumed in a digital way. Uh, which also means that there are very different ways of kind of doing that. And so at public, for instance, we show, if there's a company that has a low market cap or that is a highly volatile kind of stock, we actually show that as like an alert, like a label, almost like a hashtag, if you will, on that stock um, in order for, and and then we show a little prompt if you try to buy that stock to make sure where you kind of have to slide over, right? Remember how you like would open the old iPhones um, in order to really make sure that that you actually understand what you're getting into here and i think that's the most important piece and um, oftentimes it's easy for people just to you know click next 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 but i think certainly in the area of mobile and how gestures sort of have changed uh, the way that we can uh design user experiences um we think that there's maybe more powerful ways that you can implement some of these things that doesn't really hinder the experience. To be honest with you, right? Like we see that as a as a as a value add, not as a value detractor in any way. Um, in terms of the user experience, and so, and I think that's that's a very sort of important distinction to make.
0: Yannick, thanks so much for making it onto the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. FinTech is changing what it means for a company to be public. Part of it, perhaps ironically, involves the very fact that it returns some capital markets and indeed investing to the roots. Through technology, fintech firms can address some of the very retail investors that fancy exchanges have left behind. But in doing so, new innovations are also creating novel vectors in policy conversations about fairness that intersect with financial literacy and social responsibility. Now, it's not clear just where all of this will end up in a world where the platforms, too, are still growing in their sophistication. But it's already clear that the dialogue on what is in the public interest is going both back to its roots and where it's never been before. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, D-R. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you. FinTech Beat is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.